This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Okay, well, listen, welcome. I think people who've come here, presumably straight out of the bars, I'm very, um, I'm very impressed. Um, actually, I left the bar at a respectable hour last night because I wanted to be awake for these guys, these great filmmakers and, and, and uh, colleagues on the panel. Um, and uh, I just uh, like to, it's, this is a discussion about theatrical documentaries about documentaries and about finding audiences, and I hope you'll find it instructive because there's some new ways of finding audiences which David in particular is gonna tell you about. Um, uh, I'd like the panel to kind of introduce themselves, starting on the right. David, you wanna tell us about yourself very, very briefly it's, and, 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 and what you're here. Sure, my name is David Dopel. I'm the managing director of Leapfrog Films, which was started in Australia in 2013. From the get-go as a company, our intention was to be disruptive and hopefully innovative in the distribution space. Uh, we launched uh, later that year, early 14, uh, the Cinema On Demand platform Tug, which has been a main focus of our business since then, about finding new ways to bring films to cinemas. Dijon? I'm Dijon Pereira. I'm an independent filmmaker. I've got a small little production company, Optical Alchemy, and um, I just released a um, feature documentary in September last year um, called Black Hole, um, which is an environmental social issue film. And yeah, we were distributed and released through the Tug platform, which has been amazing. So. Olivia. My name's Olivia Penniston-Bird. I'm a director producer and I uh, completed my first feature film last year, a feature documentary called Graceful Girls, which is a dance competition film set in Australian calisthenics. Fantastic, no, I've seen it, it's great. Um, so, yeah, I'm Roy Ackerman. I run Pulse Films. Um, we're part of anything we're doing, launching an internship from AIDC, uh, which we're going to decide on today. Uh, I'm, I am used to direct films myself. I've been involved in some feature documentaries. I've made a couple with Alex Gibney, whose work you'll know, with Eugene Jarecki, The House I Live In, which is a film you might have seen about the war on drugs. Um, Richard Pryor, Meet the Logic, which is interesting. We didn't go theatrical on that. And I think one of the things I want to talk about today in the wider discussion is storytelling. You know, how long should... What, what, what's the difference between a documentary and a theatrical documentary? What's the difference between a documentary and a feature documentary? Because I think these things are part of the discussion about what kind of game we're in as storytellers. But, you know, we are in some ways in the age of the feature documentary. I mean, when there's lots of exciting things going on in content, but the feature documentary, um, Amy, which, you know, I went to the cinema with my kids, you know, 18, 21, and me and my wife, and we sat in a cinema and watched a documentary, which, you know, when I started in the business, we'd have probably seen as a TV film. What was it that made that theatrical? And then it's gone on, as we can see, to win the Oscar. Fahrenheit 911. March of the Penguins, uh, Man on Wire, Senna, Sugar Film. Sugar Film's an interesting one to me. You know, my company, we broke the sugar story as a doc series called The Men Who Made Us Fat a few years ago, which I think came to Australia. And, 
you know, but still, you know, there's there's still material in that to do a film which has been very successful here, I understand. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it seems that people do want to see things in the cinema. And anyone who was here last night for uh, Sherpa, wonderful experience. And if anything proved that sitting in a cinema to watch something, it was it was that. It would not have been as great sitting in an airline watching on the back of a seat. <laughs> so, we're, you know, blockbuster documentaries... They can do all sorts of things. They can campaign, they can enlighten, they can inspire, they can entertain. Um, but how do, we, how do we make them? How do we make them work? And I think, you know, there's two sides to the business. There's getting money for them, the producer problem, and then there's getting people to see them. And I think, I think it'd be fair to say, to be a bit provocative, we sometimes spend a lot of money thinking about how we, f- time thinking about how we fund them and maybe not quite enough time thinking about how we entertain and engage people. And I think that's one of the things we're going to talk about today. Um, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, they're risky things, uh, theatrical documentaries, you know, in the sense that to get people into cinemas is difficult. And even though they might be lower budget than the big movies, how we actually, uh, as David said here for me, you know, marketing, Publicity is the same whatever content you're talking about, whether it's a Disney cartoon or whether it's a campaigning documentary about the coal industry. So we're going to look at distribution this morning. I think it'll be a very informative session rather than a kind of one of those generic debates. Uh, David has some very new and interesting ways of getting a new route to cinema and box office success. And we want to talk about whether or not this is a new way of making documentaries do the job they are, which is to connect with audiences. But I want to start with two films and two filmmakers. Um, do, John, I want you to just, I mean, you told me the other day about your film. You are not a multimillionaire private individual funding your film. No. Your, yours has been a tough and amazingly dedicated road. Um, how much have how much have you spent on your film so far? Just briefly, just very quickly, very succinctly, what's the film? Tell us the film. Okay, so um, I never planned on making a feature about it. I, I actually never knew the issue. I was told about it. I went up to make a short documentary and just saw that it was a piece of Australian history and it was really important. So where film. is it? It's, um, it's based, it's the first blockade of a coal mine based in the Laird State Forest at Malls Creek in New South Wales. And... Um, and what's the problem? So coal, we all need coal to keep the fires burning. Yeah, well, the issue is is um, uh, greenfield mines and um, the introduction of new coal mines um, around the world and in Australia, and um, particularly about the Lead State Forest, which is a critically endangered forest. It's the last of it anywhere in the world, and it's considered by the Australian government as a critically endangered forest. Sorry, um, as a townie, it's trees. What's just a few trees, is there uh, special trees, nice trees? Well, <laughs> 34 endangered species, right. um, 12 indigenous sacred sites um, in the middle of... Um, so a native, indigenous Australian sites. Yeah. And um, so, and are, are they allowed to do that? Obviously, yeah. Right, okay, well, uh, it, pictures speak even louder than your words, so let's just... Um, Play, play the trailer and then I'll, it'll be easier for the audience yeah, to, yeah, to follow definitely. the questioning. So can we roll tape on Black Hole, please? They do speak a lot. Well, the words there are powerful. So what's the, just very quickly, what's the current state of play with the protest? Um, so 
Uh, they've just, Whitehaven um, have a window of opportunity to clear. Um, the actual camp and the blockade as it was sort of trans transformed and it sort of stopped last year, but there's people up there pro protesting at the moment. And that hole, that great big hole that we see in the film, that's not... That's an adjoining mine. Right, so, so they haven't, so is there any chance of success for the protest? Um, no, look, they've started the, they've started the um, mine and, and they're going through. There's still uh, two-sevenths of the forest left. Um, when they started protesting, it wasn't, they didn't think that they would stop the mine. It wasn't about that. It was about creating awareness and, um, and in the hope that something would transition out of that and the government would listen. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, you know, w when you look in the film, um, in 2011, Whitehaven, their share price was at like $7.20. It's at 43 cents at the moment. And, and the protests are a big part of that? Um, a considerable part. In that thing with Jonathan Moylan about the hoax, that was like, you know, synonymous with what brought this forward. And, and I think for me is the, what was really interesting was it's an environmental film and um, people sort of talking about climate change. And for me, it's not a climate change film. For me, it's actually about what we perceive democracy to be and a very democratic and, and why these people were coming and such a broad spectrum of people were coming to protest because it's... It's in the realms of Jabaluka and Franklin River, and it's um, in this country. And um, it was fascinating. It was really fascinating to see this, um, w what we perceive activists to be. Okay, so let's just talk a bit about the process. So your background is as a editor, shooter, and how much directing have you done before this? Um, I've done uh, bits and pieces. I made a feature documentary in 2006 where in Argentina I'd never made a film before and just kind of happened um, and also so you made a feature doc in 2006 and what happened and, and, and like feature length yeah feature on your length I uh, ended up initially I wasn't planning and then I met a, a friend over there and it kind of turned into a feature like a 70 it was like 75 minutes um, and, and, and what, uh, what, what kind of airing did it get um, not a lot. It was like it got into a couple of small uh, film festivals, and um, yeah, it was standard definition. It wasn't the greatest quality, um, but it was. An, it, okay, I'm gonna. So, who in this room either has made a feature doc or would like to? Okay, so well, that's one of the reasons you're here. So, I'm gonna come be straight and provocative. So, I've been in the uh, film for 33 years and when I started I started making three minute films because I was in, in news and so I wouldn't have dreamed of starting with a feature doc so that's a brave and bold thing so what if, if you want to compare as a, as, a, as a filmmaker why you leap for the hardest thing which is 90 minutes or 75 minutes um, which is a hard length to distribute. I mean, if you're selling, pro David, because if you're trying to sell programs around the world, they want 50. That's the number they want. And, and feature docs, although fantastic. So what makes you say, right, I'm going to make this long? Well, it wasn't. It, the initial thing is... I'm talking about the Argentina one. Yeah, yeah. No, when I went to... Like, I was in South America traveling for a year, mm -hmm. and I went for other reasons. And I was more in photography, and I decided to buy a video but You camera. made a story... And you went for feature doc. I'm just trying to get to what is it about? What's the, what's the pull of the feature doc? I just think that it was just the, 
the story that was that was there that it was in order to be able to comprehensively tell that story you need the time. it just needed the time but but then and and did did you think about tv you know i mean like this is a this is a expose film this yeah. feels to me like a four corners or a totally uh, and and do you do you go to the the networks and say do you want to make my film well in both South America for my first one and for this one, I had no opportunity. It was just, I've got to make the film. And then as I was making the film, I went to speak to um, ABC and Screen Australia and Film Victoria. And, um, you know, they, were, they saw it as an issue film and they couldn't see the characters within that. And Plenty of characters in that. Yeah. And, 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 okay, so I run a production company in London and, you know, Panorama, which is our four corners, come to say, have you got any films for us? And, you know... Films don't, don't just come out of the blue. You don't read the papers. They come because people bring you a story. So somebody brought me a story overnight. I'll take it to them. So if you'd come into my office and shown me some rushes, I might have said, right, you know, we're experienced guys. We will knock doors down to get it onto air for a million people. Is the, is, was the issue your access to the ABC and their, you know, your experience, or was it that they just didn't want the story? No, it was, um, it was, it was just my experience. I think that... It, ha- it had been in the news quite a bit. Yeah. It was So when I'd come in, people kind of knew about it. And when I'd spoken um, to ABC and Screen Australia, and they had automatically, they just saw it as an issue film. And then when I started giving them clips, they went, oh, hang on a second. This has got heart. So they considered it. Seems like they're not really... Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, does, 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 you know, uh, issue film, pretty meaningless comment to me. Yeah. Um, in fact... You know, what will we see? Anyone who, was, who saw Sherpa? Any issues there? Big issues. Yeah. Big issues. Anyway, um, so, I mean, I want to come to Tug, which is the innovative bit of this, but I wanted to just use these as case studies. So, how did you, I mean, how did you raise, how did you make this film? It looks glor- glorious. You've got great uh, material. How did you raise the money to make what you've made? Okay, so I, as I said, I wasn't planning on making the film um, a feature and realised that it needed to be made. Um, and it was imminent. It was happening then. So there was, um, as Herzog says, is that you just got to make it. So um, I, went, I came back to Melbourne and within three weeks I'd created a crowdfunding platform. Um, and within three weeks after that I'd raised $20,000 which gave me enough security in my mind to be able to film. And I just filmed and then I had bits and pieces of jobs that I'd been doing that Did put money crew? in. No, so I directed, produced, shot, sound. Wow. Um, lived up there for nine months, um, promoted the film, created the Facebook page. Um, and from that, I'd been sort of watching social media. And um, Did you have any, I mean... Doesn't everyone think that's this, that's dedication for you? Anybody who doesn't. So I, I mean, I'm I'm an EP. I try and help filmmakers. Did you have a Did you have a sounding board? Did you have an EP who you could get advice from? No. Wow. Okay. No. So so you raised twenty thousand and you shot and 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 how to get through post? How did you get through? Uh, so I got to got to November two thousand and fourteen sort of finished most principal filming and then decided to go after funding and spent three months to at least know within myself I tried. Um, 
with no success, then February, um, and that's when I actually went to um, Antenna Film Festival. There was a, a one-day um, conference about documentary, and I asked a question, and then David's partner Andrew happened to be there and was in the early days of Tug, and he came up to me and said, "What are you doing?" And I said, oh, "I'm making this film," and he said, "Keep in touch," and. Yeah, it sort of got to February 2015 and did the last part of filming and I'd spoken to my dad and his partner. They'd been very supportive um, emotionally and um, I really just needed to sit down and edit and really put myself into that part as an editor. And, and what paid for that? Um, basically... Uh, my dad lent me $10,000. You, 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 you borrowed money? Yeah. And... I want to come to Tug in a second because that's that's certainly part of your journey. But anyway, you you borrowed money and you finished the film. When did you finish it? Uh, I finished it in uh, August thirty first, and it was released on September sixth. And where did it, where where did you air it first? We had a world premiere for Environmental Film Festival opening night here in Melbourne. Yeah, good response. Uh, sold out, standing ovation. Mm. Nice. So how did that feel? Um, it was amazing. I was a mess. I was an absolute mess because there was such high pressure um, to, for one to get it completed by that time. And then just to see people's reactions, I, I'd had this experimental idea of how I wanted to try and get that film across and engage the audience. And, um, you hey, know, you must have been, I'd have been a mess if I'd done all that. Anyway, yeah. uh, Great journey. I want to come back to you and talk about this new form of distribution in just a second. But a very contrasting film, Olivia, which mm. I I saw my way out here. Um, I've done a few dance films, a few competition films in my time. Um, interesting, amazing uh, access, amazing stories. So tell us about um, t tell us about Graceful, Graceful Girls. Um, and then tee up the, the trailer whenever you want. Can we play the trailer first? Let's play the Sorry. trailer first. <laughs> We're going to go for Graceful Girls. That's the one with the dancing girls. <laughs> Very nice. I, I just realised the question I was going to ask you, I cannot ask because it's a spoiler question. Oh, okay. So, okay. so we're not going to have any spoilers here because oh, you've got to see this film, guys. Okay. And so you're not allowed to say anything okay. or spoil it. I, think I, like, that would... I like your thinking. Um, so, so I've got to ask you, I'm a Brit. What's the difference between that and ballet? So many differences. Go on. <laughs> no. Well, calisthenics is basically across, across a combination of ballet, gymnastics and theatre. So in ballet, you don't get those kind of more athletic, <clears throat> the back bends, the kind of tricks, you know. Um, you certainly don't get club swinging or the rod twirling. Mm. Um, it's, and you certainly don't get singing either. So calisthenics is made up of nine separate items. I can't list them all off the top of my head. But there's march, there's you know club swinging, etc. Um, aesthetics. It's all different styles. So every competition, each club has to do, you know, up to nine different items. Every comp every item runs for two to three minutes. Has a completely different costume, a different theme, and so all year they're choreographing and rehearsing, etc. Um, but yeah, my backstory is that I began sort of in drama more so. I worked my way up as from a production runner through the up to being an AD um, on, and I was in the UK for seven years working on sort of independent British um, feature films. 
um, with, you know, Roger Michelle and Daniel Craig and blah, 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 Emily Blunt. And I was really into – I have always I always wanted to be a director at that point. So I knew that. And when I moved back to Australia, I kind of had to make the decision to start again, you know, despite the fact I was a second AD and making a good living in that role. I wanted to be a director, so I came back and pretty much started from scratch, which is pretty hard. Um, what brought you to – to this was it was it did it start off as a competition yeah well I discovered the story um by accident uh I had a three-year-old daughter at the time and uh we were just looking for activities for her um and we looked at ballet and gymnastics and neither of them seemed quite right and my mum said what about calisthenics and as most people in this room will attest my reaction was what is that um and I knew the word my sister had done it back in the 70s um briefly um but I had to google it calisthenics and I looked up I thought oh that sounds interesting can I ask a difficult question so I I, one of my secret habits I play bridge a card game and my wife thinks that's desperately uncool (laughs) she would think it better poker is calisthenics uncool yes I think it is uncool unfortunately (laughs) Uh, definitely Um, and that's it's actually touched on the film it's a competition film but what I thought was really really interesting about the subject matter when I discovered this club discovered this you know who just in our local church hall for for our daughter um, we lasted two years in calisthenics one year after one year we decided we were going to pull her out of it but it was awkward because I was already making the film by then. <laughs> um, and why did you want to pull her out of it? Because it wasn't quite our thing. <laughs> but unfortunately, my daughter had exceptional talents. I think the coaches thought she was future. my daughter had exceptional talents. <laughs> In this, yeah. she won the club trophy age three for you know, the most potential. Um, but yeah, I mean, politically, it's got a lot of issues. A lot of people have uh, issue with it. Um, in terms of, you know, the, the styling of the children, some of the choreography sometimes. It's changed a lot, oh, I think. It, like beauty pageant Absolutely. Type stuff. Absolutely. It's, it's completely compared to beauty pageants, um, which is, you know, in some ways is fair, in some ways is, is unfair. Um, so that's a real battle. They have is a huge public white? image. Yeah, very white. Um, so they have a real public image problem, which never used to be the case when we were kids. It was popular. Lots of people did calisthenics, and now it's struggling. That's a whole other story that I actually don't go into in the feature much. Yeah, although, you know, you, you give a sense of the, 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 you know, uh, of the world you're in, of the, the, the milieu. Anyway, so, so, your daughter, so you get lured into it through a personal story, yes. which, is, which is a documentary yeah. trope. Uh, how did, you know, just to, to bring people so we can... Yes. How did you get it made? It's a beautiful film. Well, I also initially thought I'd just make a short doco. I was really interested in the three women who'd run this club, uh, the cross-generational kind of love stories, I called it. These three women who extremely... So, basically, I just did a day of interviews of the three main cast at that stage. She was not Brianna, because I didn't know about Brianna till later. So, the grandmother, the the daughter and granddaughter. One day of interviews. I'd shot a few days of just rehearsal footage. um, And at that stage, I... I can't remember. I was Googling uh, some... And you say you shot it. So, you're out of drama. So, Mm. you, you get a camp, you get a crew... Um, what did I do? Yes, for the interviews, I just had friends pulled in favours. So you pulled in favours. Professional early yeah, career yeah. people. Um, and basically, I heard about the AIDC uh, meat market program back in 2012, that was. So I cut a trailer based on one day of interviews and pitched the project and I got into the meat market program, which meant going to Adelaide for uh, 2012 and having face-to-faces with meetings with, you know, various people who expressed interest in the project based on the, the trailer. And money? 
Oh, I was so excited. I, I had a vision for the film. I had a trailer that was, you know, obviously well-received. People, sh you know, realised there was potential in the project. So it was my first time ever. I mean, I was completely green. My first meetings ever with financiers or broadcasters. And I was completely ill-prepared, I think. I didn't know how to pitch the film. I didn't... I had a vision for it, but I didn't really have a story, which, of course, is very hard to sell a project. Um, and I... No, no money. No. And, and interest... Followed them up, but no, and 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 do you think, and I, and the same sort of thing as I said, do you think if you'd had a an EP, an ex experienced person from either a production company or a producer, they could have got that over the line at that point? I think what you're getting at is actually exactly what I was missing at that point. I had I had no mentorship, I had no idea, I had no experience. Um, so although it was exciting, and I was suddenly in this, you know, AIDC, you know really exciting environment i really had no idea how to move forward so no i didn't it would have uh, made a huge difference okay just just quickly because i'll come back to you so who here has got a project that they want to get but is on their own and and could do with support okay my advice is find some yeah, yeah. because these guys are heroes but don't always be a hero, because it's hard. I think, would you agree it's a hard road? Yeah, and uh, it was uh, And for me, it wasn't that I wasn't looking for it. Like, um, I'd had advice, and when I'd spoken to Film Vic and Screen Australia, they, um, I went and spoke to people. Um, it just kind of happened, I went to, I spoke to Smith and Nash, but they had, at that time, with, with Frackman, and so then- they had other projects. Yeah, and it was just kind of that point where People were really interested in the film. They kind of just looked at it and seen it, and they went, "Actually, it's got heart." And we, we. But they didn't. They didn't adopt it fully. No, because people were just busy, especially because of the particular producers that would be interested or would have. Okay, so you, so you went and looked. That's. And yeah. what about you? Um, no, I think I was just caught up. It was very early. I hadn't really shot the film. Um, and but you're from drama. You wouldn't try and make a movie without. No, a... no. So that's the interesting thing. But I think also you feel kind of a bit inadequate at that, inexperienced, and it's very hard to kind of. At that stage, I wouldn't have thought that I had something that would interest people. You know, Do you okay. Know, I, I didn't know how to sell I'm going to challenge you. Yeah. So, because obviously I'm doing this from a position of success. So you've got a film, an idea, but you don't. You don't think you're strong enough to get somebody like me to help but you're going to get hundreds of people <laughs> to give up an hour and a yeah. half of their life to do that there's a it's a very good here. point and i think the other thing to consider is partly as a filmmaker i'm wanting to prove to myself i can do this okay and again i'm just doing this to to get people thinking i think there's something in the filmmaker that feels like they've got to kind of prove something mm. i th i suggest to you you only have to prove one thing that somebody wants to watch your film. Mm, that's a good point. Uh, and you've done that. I just think that to, uh, you know, there's, now I, I think Dijon's thing's interesting. So, I mean, I have people knocking on my door, I've got a film, and I don't always say yes. Sometimes you're busy, or sometimes you've got a conflicting project. But a good producer will say, well, I can't do it, but so-and-so can. You know, because you need to find the right match. And I think that AIDC, you know, got whatever time left today, find somebody. And if you can't find somebody today, find somebody who will find you somebody. Anyway, mm. just quickly, because I want to come on to the tug thing, having just thrown all this out, you made it. So how did you make it? Um, just 
it was just a I, I look I end up shooting quite a bit of it myself I'd never operated a camera but by the end the final feature I think I'd shot about 30% of it uh, a lot of the performance competitions was multicam, obviously, because some crucial performances we had. Oh, it's beautifully shot. Multicam costs money, so you must have found <laughs> some money sometime. Oh, sorry, I should say we did do it. I did do an Indiegogo uh, campaign early on and raised fifteen thousand US. So sorry, that was what's an Indiegogo? Sorry, Indiegogo is the same as Kickstarter. So I uh, basically, when I needed funds, I think I shot the first, you know, few months just, you know, off my own back with favors, and then I realised, no, I need some money. We've got big cobs coming up. I can't continue to finance this myself because obviously there were hard costs that would crop up, even if it's just crew catering or, you know, accommodation. So we did a uh, Indiegogo campaign, which I prefer to Kickstarter because you get the funds regardless of whether you hit your target. We did hit our target, but the most valuable thing the kicks of the Indiegogo campaign was starting a Facebook page which basically I used and started using social media to build an audience. And did, I mean, I can see, did, did the calisthenics world, who obviously would be interested in this, did they, ha did they bring money to the project? In yes, they did. And this was something I was very nervous about doing initially, and I never wanted to do a crowdsourcing uh, campaign for this reason. I didn't want them to feel like they had ownership or investment in the film because I wasn't sure how it was going to play out. I could... Mm. I had my ideas, obviously, what I thought about calisthenics. It was predominantly positive, and it's not a, about calisthenics per se. It's about these women and you know the sacrifice and dedication and the, you know, to to but you're achieve conflicted. greatness. You're conflicted about this uncool dance form uh, <laughs> that you're trying to pull your incredibly talented daughter out of, um, uh, and by the end, what do you feel about it? Um, look, I admire these women. Um, look, the calisthenics community threw their support behind it because I did end up needing money and I couldn't have raised that money without them and the film wouldn't have been the commercial success it has been, commercial, small-scale commercial success, without their support. So that's been wonderful. But, you know, I, I, wasn't, I didn't know if they were going to love the film. And, 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 and uh, I mean, presumably you made it clear to them that it wasn't a promotional film for the Victorian Calisthenics Society. I did, I did. And I think most people got that. And, you know, with the Indiegogo campaign, I obviously did a little pitch, so there was footage that they understood the general message of the film. Um, but, you know, I still wanted to remain independent, obviously. Um, oh, I mean, yeah. you know, I, ca I can imagine uh, that this is a gift, partly cause, because it's independent. So how much... I mean, it, it, I mean this looks like a very, very finely realised arts film, you know, arts and culture film. The camera works fantastic. Were there still a lot of favours? Heaps uh, of favours. So myself, my, my, I did the assembly edits. My husband, Nigel, he's a professional editor as well as filmmaker, so he did the edit. Um, we had in-kind sponsorship for all the post-production from Deluxe and Soundwaves. We did apply for um, post-production funding after we yeah. had a, a rough cut, a yeah. very rough cut, yeah. through Screen Australia... Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the fund, but it was the only one we were eligible for because yeah. we didn't have a broadcaster yeah. attached. Um, we weren't even shortlisted, which was right. hugely disappointing. We had a, I had a really good team. By that stage, I had partnered with the more experienced producers, yeah. Melanie Coombs, Mish Armstrong and Alicia Coombs. So between them, they have some quite substantial yeah. long-form credits. Yeah. Um, but to not even get shortlisted at that point was really right. disappointing. And again, just bringing it up to date, so you won the big award. Uh, as it, so what, what's the 
what's the platforms it's reaching? Have you guys TV going to show it now? Uh, we're still waiting to hear about TV. So Cinema Nova picked it up, I think based on the fact we won the audience award at MIF. We had two sold out screenings. Our first our premiere was in here. Um, and <coughs> so we had seven weeks at Cinema Nova, you know, often screening several times a day. And then we had 25 tug screenings mm-hmm. around Australia. Right, I'm going to come to tug in a minute. Not everyone knows what it is. So, so you've got a distributor and TV, you know. Hopefully, yes, I think pay TV is looking like it's going to happen, but not right. um, terrestrial. Right. So, it's, uh, and, and have you been able to start paying any of the favours back? Yes, yes. So, it, it ended up costing us about, um, I think, about 25,000 US. Uh, sorry, Australian dollars. That's just hard costs. Crew were, well, very, so very relevant. 25K relocated. cash, yep, which cash. you raised from Indiegogo. I know. So, 15 of that was Indiegogo. About 10 of that was my own money. Yeah. Um, I've made, I will make up my, back my own money. Um, that's, yeah. I've invoiced, uh, had my first payment through, which is like, woohoo. Um, so, you know, beyond that, there will be a little bit of a return for the investors, for, you know, everyone who has and, and And if it goes to pay TV and things, are you hoping to pay crew? Uh, no, we don't have any deferred payment for crew. Everyone sort of either got small payments at the time or did it out of goodwill. Um, so, no, we're just hoping to pay the, you know, the post-production, you know, investors and, you know, right. various God, Australians are nicer than Brits. <laughs> um, so, I wanted to... So, David. Yes. Your company have launched this this platform that I had no idea about until I read about it. But before we go on to that, because we've still got 20 minutes, and I want to give some time for questions. Mm-hmm. Can you give a thumbnail for people here? You've got a feature documentary. It's called it a film that's between 60 and 90 minutes long. It's completed. How, what are the three or maybe four main ways of getting that onto screens? If you have a traditional distributor, um, that's clearly the preferred path for most people, um, and that requires at least a two-week commitment from a cinema to screen it. They look at it and book it, and they're making a curatorial decision about taking that film or not, and that is a commercial decision as well about we have a space, it costs money, here are our fixed costs, how many people are going to come in, give us money for a ticket, and then also buy popcorn and um, some and, cool and, drink. And so, I mean, the sugar... F- the sugar film would have yes. got that. So, yes. so the distributor goes to, you know, particularly screens that that have a track record in documentaries. And are there are there, are there particular companies here? Like, you know, we have the picture houses in England. Would are there particular sort of like art house? Yeah, there, there is a very vibrant and strong uh, independent cinema association in Australia, and uh, many still classic Art Deco cinemas, small family-owned chains, private groups. All and in the big cities? All, all in the big cities and regional, and then um, uh, three, four big chains uh, around Australia. So it's a fairly diversified but, I mean, market. Do, do, do docs get into the big chains? Uh, on cinema on demand they do, yes. <laughs> okay, well, come to that. So, okay, so you get, so that's... So that's, that's the traditional route. Now, so but what how happen- many... Dist- sorry, just to, again, for people who don't yeah, know, yeah. how many distributors are there and how do you find one? Oh, gosh. Um, are there lots? Yes, there are. Um, there's probably those that would buy and acquire Australian-made um, documentaries. There's probably eight to ten. Um, some of them are large companies and some are very boutique and small. And if people out here want to find and get advice on distributors, could they talk to you? I mean, uh, you are a distributor. We are a distributor, yes, and they can talk to us. Uh, they also talk to their state agencies and to the 
uh, federal funding agency as well because in the funding mechanisms, as most people here would know, uh, market attachment, market interest is usually expressed via right. So you go to your screen agency who will be able to help you find one or you? Yes. Okay, so there's traditional distri distributor, yeah. and what else? Uh, you can then, up until, I guess, the arrival of the, uh, the kind of platform that we have, uh, people also four-walled uh, cinemas where you took the risk yourself, you would hire this cinema, you would hope that if you were getting, uh, it's costing you five bucks a seat for here, $1,000 for the night or more, that you could then um, pull a crowd, make your money back, and then make a profit. Build it and they will come. Yes. Okay, and... What about video and dis digital? What about direct digital distribution, which is small screens? Is that, is that a thing people do? Well, of, of course, I think there are many, many different ways that uh, we want people to see our movies. And I think you saw Graceful Girls on the plane on the way over. Not, not as good as I'm sure seeing no. it. No, no, but you saw it, and that's, that's yeah. good and that's important. And uh, I think any size screen is fantastic, um, and the size screen is the most fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so I um so okay. There's a just very brief. But then, uh, what I didn't talk about was uh, how we do it. Do yeah, I'm gonna. I'm yep. just give me. I'll come to that just in one second. So, um, in Britain, a new thing, relative new thing, was suddenly you could see, you know, a national theatre production or a roll-up mm -hmm. production in your local cinema. So, mum and dad yeah. who are getting on uh, to go to their local cinema, and suddenly there's this live arts brought to your local cinema and, and, it, and it's a fantastic thing and I've been in arts programming for a long time one of the things I always felt was that TV was spending a lot of its money on kind of relaying theatre and arts and you'll know this from mm. arts background and I was thinking I don't find that very satisfying because if you go to the theatre you you're, you're on a shared experience mm. and so suddenly getting people to go to their local cinema and seeing an opera from New York or from Royal Press, I thought that was wonderful. So I met the guy who did this, because he also does, commissions his own work, and they're, um, God, video arts. And he described the cinemas as a new form of cable television. He said, here is this uh, unused spectrum space, which is cinemas with often empty afternoon screenings. Mm. And he said, I'm effectively uh, buying space on a cable TV channel. and." One of the things I think is worth thinking about, when I came into, the, uh, into broadcasting in the early 80s, there were kind of very few spaces. There was blockbuster movies sold around the world. There were kind of indie movies. There was TV, which largely went to millions of people, certainly in Britain. And then it was kind of all the way down to kind of home movies, which you shot for yourself. And I suddenly realized in the last years there's an almost infinite spectrum where you can go for an audience of one, which was my son's movies, which he made for his brother when he was eight, all the way to kind of Avatar or a big blockbuster movie. And, and the, the spectrum in between is where a lot of the interesting works become. So tell us about Tug. Yeah, we occupy that space somewhere in the middle there where we have a value proposition for cinemas, which is your your low inventory time. So 80% of our screenings happen on a Monday and a Wednesday. Cinemas have solved their Tuesdays by having cheap Tuesdays, so we they get good crowds then. But when they would normally expect four people to turn up, um, we would bring 120, 150. Uh, and so the economics of that are really strong for the cinemas. So you say we. We. Um, what is we and what are you showing? Yeah, so the platform now in Australia has a couple of hundred titles. Um, we screened uh, 18 
documentaries last year, 12 of which were Australian. We've got 13 on the platform new this year so far. Um, and lots it's of feature Tug. films. It's called Tug? Yeah, T-U-G-G. And how do I find out about one and t- so I can go and see it? Yeah, well, just, I mean, just go to the website and it, it hopefully is pretty self-explanatory. But I think the what, what we've managed to... Com- and it's not my innovation, we've licensed it. But the, the innovation that sits behind it is one of, of crowdsourcing, where they've de-risked the the decision to go to the theatre. So you don't have to spend $1,000 and hope people will come. We have an arrangement with every cinema in the country, and it's effectively 100% of cinemas are now involved here and in New Zealand. And they all take the risk with us to book a Monday night four or five weeks ahead uh, in the belief that we've got a better than even chance of selling enough tickets to make it happen. Okay, so the local flea pit has got a Monday night. Yeah mid-April, you've got your 13 or 25 films and you've you've backed them, and what happens? You look at a film and say, I'm going to go for this, do you decide? No, it's it's not a curated platform, uh, and we love all our children equally that are on the platform, (laughs) Um, and uh, some come with a lot of support. Both of uh, the films being talked about today, they talked about their Facebook uh, followings, their fundraiser followings. So they, when they came to the platform, they had an audience already that they could activate. So you, so you exploit them very happily. Yeah, well, we... No. No, no, I'm just winding you up. Um, but anyway, so, so Monday in mid-April, yep. how do you de- what I really want to know is how do you decide whether it's uh, Dujon's film or Olivia's film? Who, well, who, how do you get the date? How it's you get demand. Date? So it's demand. If people want it, then it goes on. So we provide the logistics platform and then we uh, harness a lot of social media activity to once a screening is booked and on sale, as it were. Uh, but Olivia says, I want that Monday. Can I have that Monday? So, you, yes. so you, you say, and you say, no, that one's free or is it on the website? Can you tell whether it's free? No, we, we would then you know, uh, call the cinema and see if, they, if it's available and if it is, then we book it in. If not that night, the next night, the week before. So it's like picking a screening date. Yes. And and, and how many screen dates have you had, Olivia? Uh, we've had 25. 25 in how many different places? Um, every state around Australia um, and regional uh, Victoria. And, and how many of those did you do, do a Q&A afterwards? Uh, I did Q&As around maybe four of those, plus the two festival ones, plus my Cinnamon Over ones. But yeah, Tug, probably about four. And uh, did you, how many have you done? Um, since October, I've had, and they're still going, I've had 50 um, nationwide. Um, 13 of them have been sold out, I think averaging about 110 per screening. Mm. Um, and how much, if you've got a cinema of 150 people, is it permissible to say how much ends up back at the filmmaker's pocket? Um, it, look, it, probably, probably 30%. Just the way the the system works, because you get a retainer in the first half of the money to the threshold. It's a re- it's a retainer sort of basic. So there's an agreement of like the cinema gets this amount, I get this amount, and that creates what the expense is, and that's what you need to get to. And then after that, of course, the more tickets you sell, um, the bigger percentage and that you get. And I think that what is so what is really amazing about it is that I booked um, 20 screenings for myself. So I did a tour. I did a Q&A with that. So I went all up the East Coast. But 
I think what is really phenomenal about this platform is the ability for other people to host. So out of those 50 screenings, there's been 30 individuals or groups that have gone, we want this. I've supported them as much as I right. can. So, you, so a, network, a, a network can build. And the biggest question of all, who gets the popcorn take? Uh, the cinema Cinemas. does. You don't, so you couldn't go and sell your own handmade popcorn outside? <laughs> uh, not so much. No. I think we, we exist uh, by the goodwill of the oh. cinemas. We're sort of the Airbnb of cinemas. Yeah. So yeah. they're an important partner. And so we've endeavoured to create a financial structure that pays them well, that pays filmmakers well, um, and that pays us pretty well. Uh, we get the least out of everybody. Yeah. Um, is this the beginning of something? I mean, you know, you look at music and disruption, you know, a band like Coldplay, not Coldplay, mm. um, Radiohead decide to mm. release their own album. Do you think one day social media will become the main distribution platform to the tickets? Um, because, you know, as opposed to the massive, you know, the marketing and promotion costs of a movie are the, virtually the biggest thing in, in making of any movie. Yeah, so I think, I think one of the secret sources that we have, and I'll share our statistics, and these guys might be happy to share how much they spent in actual dollars, but the conversion rate on the platform from someone landing on a page to look at an event to buying a ticket is 17%. One-seven? No, yeah, one-seven. That's good. I mean, oh, that sounds better like than a good. lot. Yeah, that's, that's a phenomenally high number and puts it in a very small category. And the reason for that is that it is word of mouth. So in a traditional distribution mode, you spend a bucket load of money to raise awareness. People hopefully see the film, then word of mouth kicks in. Mm. Ours has turned around. We effectively have no awareness at the start, but we have word of mouth, and that's the most powerful form of marketing there is. Absolutely. And and that's what works. So I don't know if you guys want to share how much and do cash you, And is does your, your site uh, attract advertising? No. Would would I, if I were a uh, advertiser, I'd come to your site if a certain kind of products. Good, I'd I'd, good idea. I'll give you get a out on that one. <laughs> get out there. We, um, we have we have sponsors, yeah. sponsored screenings. Yeah. So because um, different companies and groups can effectively buy out the minimum threshold needed yeah. to make an event happen yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, sorry, let me. Yeah. Oh, sorry. It's, I, I was just thinking. My my uh, comment to advice to the filmmakers is that don't leave it to too late to build your social network, you no. know. I mean, we, yeah. I was forced to create a face... Well, the, I was advised to form a Facebook page when I did my fundraising at the time, yeah. that, and it hadn't even occurred to me, and that was 2012. But come to release last year, we already had over 4,000 Facebook followers, um, which made the marketing of the film for mm. Tug just really straightforward. A lot of, you know, it was very... We were already there. Yeah, well, I mean, social media, I was a real Luddite. I, I, I was uh, very anti-social media I think it was something that my kids did when we tried to talk to them over dinner and and then uh, I'm I'm trying to raise money for a sponsored run everybody just go, go to Just Giving Roy Ackerman I'm running for a youth charity if anybody wants to, to donate uh, I'm here I'm working hard for you guys I've got to run a half marathon in two weeks time so then I discovered social media and you know LinkedIn which is a thing you know, people use LinkedIn, which I'd always didn't really understand the point of. Suddenly, people are viewing my running <laughs> thing. So, yeah, so social media, building social media is important. It's so, massively. actually, there's a, a... Friends are 
friends are important. Yeah, yeah but I think Olivia, ha- sorry, Olivia had uh, another secret weapon uh, in the calisthenics world. Oh yes, I did. Yes. Yeah, do you want to say what that is? Yeah, well, I mean, the fact that we're a hundred, I think, oh, over a hundred clubs just in Victoria alone. Victoria is the main state uh, for calisthenics, um, followed by uh, Adelaide and Perth. Um, Adelaide, because they had heard about the film for so long and they hadn't had the Melbourne Film Festival or Cinema Nova, they were gagging to see the film. And when the first film appeared on Tug, it sold out in about two or three hours. Um, and then there was uproar in the uh, calisthenics community. Like 250 seats. I mean, it was a big cinema. It was a big yeah. cinema, yeah. So it sold out just like that. And then there was a whole rivalry that transpired between clubs because other clubs were really upset that they didn't even know, that they weren't even given the opportunity to buy tickets. We actually got on Today Tonight in Adelaide because uh, someone pitched the story, but they heard about the fact there was hate mail sent to Tug <laughs> about the fact that this was unfair. Yeah. One club didn't get, you know. So then there's a sense that every club wanted to host their own screening, which is, like, brilliant. Yeah, and they um, wouldn't go to each other's screenings, and yeah. then they were looking at the number of tickets selling, and there was a competition about increasing the numbers. Yeah, we right. loved and it. it. And we, did a, we, we did a hip-hop weekend on Channel 4, and, um, yeah, I was very proud. I brought that to Channel 4. So we took a competition into the South Bank, which is like our... It's our biggest art centre in, in the whole of Britain, pretty much. And it was the first time Southbank was significantly populated by black people. <laughs> you know, and it's a great place, and it was a multicultural society, but still it's a place where you know, orchestras play. If I think about it, if we had used the network of hip-hop clubs hmm. the way that you did, we'd have probably increased Channel 4s. You know, it shows how sort of backward networks are in there and presumably use the environmental network yeah well the thing is for me because also i um it was interesting in my distribution also is that i took no money from any environmental organization or anything i, I wanted no i didn't want anyone to drive that agenda so when it came to my if i was your dad so when it came <laughs> so when it came to my distribution there was even though the film the organizations were heavily involved in that campaign when it came to the distribution, what they said they were going to help me with wasn't necessarily what they really, they didn't really give me that much help. So I think from that basis of what was really great is that if you're going on to tug and understand this, it's still not easy. It's, 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 it's like a lot of work. But what it does enable you to do is it makes you understand the demographic and the audience amazingly because what I've my experience that I realized very early on is that 90% of people don't actually know how to use social media and have no clue actually the way it works and and all of a sudden with social media we're we are getting that information that um, traditionally was really held by advertising agencies that yeah. we can actually really see that. I so. just want to give, we've got five minutes to the end of the session. Um, I just want to give a chance for a few members of the audience to ask questions, maybe of David and how Tug works or the filmmakers. Any questions out there in the audience for our panel? God, people were in the bars late last night. There's one over uh, here. There's one up at the top. And there's one down the front here. Okay, um, right, we'll start the front and then if a microphone There's a microphone the, uh, flying the into you there. This is a question for Leapfrog, but also yeah. possibly for Roy. Um, how much access do you use um, from outside sort of disruptors? Like there's a, um, for example, an organisation called Watson IBM or 
there's corporates that are in um, sort of distribution channels around market research, etc. Um, how much do you sort of leverage off other industries to think about your platforms? I think we're we're voracious readers and explorers of disruption, so we're always looking for other people who are who are doing things that differently and giving us ideas around that. Um, we're also learning. Um, we're trying to take a lot of received wisdom from the traditional distribution world as well, because that's been going for a century and a lot has been learned there too. And I think one of the things that we've evolved in our thinking in the last year or so is that we we run campaigns now for films. We think about a start date, we think about um, creating a group of champions ahead of time, having screenings set up, leveraging traditional media and doing it as a release. Um, but it's it's staggered, it moves from region to region, and then it becomes organic after that. But, um, you know, we certainly uh, don't know everything. We actually probably don't know very much, but the, the whole space is exciting. And every day we, we hear about a new idea that usually is followed by me. Why didn't I think of that? Um, yeah. <laughs> so what you said, Watson, isn't that the robot? The uh, uh, Yeah, that's right, artificial intelligence. But, <clears throat> for example, it... Um, goes like a virus through social media and creates pla uh, creates uh, identities or, or preferences or where people are at. So you may be able to plan more, plan more strategically with, I don't know, with documentaries, with um, when you release them, how you release them, all this sort of thing. I guess it's what yeah. um, is more broadly used in the sort of corporate communities and sort of more um, people who are really uh, voracious in trying to sort of make profits. And I just thought it might be well, nice. Well, yeah. I'd never heard of its use in that form I mean you know David you know uh, obviously I mean this is part of it we're trying to create awareness of new ways of doing things you know and I'm I'm not a specialist as you'll have gathered in in, in purely in in theatrical documentary I've been involved in some more traditional TV is my background um, but I was in, enjoyed I'm pleased to be asked to do this because it, it's taught me something I didn't know <laughs> and I think it's very Hopeful, and I think it, I think it plays into what I was saying earlier, and then we'll come to the other question, which is that some a, a young filmmaker brought me an idea, and the idea was about a housing estate in London, which had kind of fallen off the map, and it had fallen off the map because it wasn't on the bus route, it wasn't on the tube, and London's a huge city, but it's a very very dense city, and I thought this was really quite interesting. This housing estate that was almost like a uh, an un, it was like a lost contact tribe in the middle of London. I thought that was quite an interesting film. Now, she wasn't the biggest known filmmaker. She didn't have a big... She couldn't just walk in and get a film. And I thought to myself, I don't think I can take this on. So I wasn't prepared to take that film. So I didn't think I'd get a commission for it. But it struck me that if she'd made that film, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, aired it locally, it might have caught fire that way. And that made me think that there are different ways different price points, different levels of which mm. a film can take off. I mean, that, if somebody had come to me with a little trailer for that, and I was a, you know, I make arts films, I would have gone straight to see my mate who's the head of arts TV and say, make this film. Mm. And if they said, yes, we'd be up and running. And I'd want, you know, three, $400,000 for it uh, to make it. Uh, but if she said no, and SBS said no, and everyone said no, I'd probably give it two months and move on. But that's a different model. And I think so all the way to, you know, robots, it's, it's a changing world. Well, what I think, sorry, what I think also in that disruption also is looking at as an independent filmmaker is 
um, even for the access program, especially because we have funding bodies here, is that unless you get um, you get bought by a television station or you get into one of the top ten festivals, you still you don't get a credit, you don't get recognised, and that's where I'm so so thankful to that platform and also to David and that because all of a sudden the film was still if it was considered good it was good anyway but all of a sudden I can go to people and say yeah I didn't get a pre-sale I didn't, couldn't sell it but you know what I've screened 50 times in Australia I've made taken 65,000 at the box office and I can maybe get 20 30 screenings in the US and I think that's disrupting the model of going give us a chance and mm -hmm. open that up. Yeah, it's changing mm -hmm. the power structure. Mm -hmm. So there's a question up on the left. Yeah, just, um, you just answered it. Um, can we talk about returns for a minute? If not your sure. two films, maybe David, you can talk generally. Yes, I can. And they hinted at it, um, Dijon said around 30%. So the standard model is this threshold number which we like to have somewhere between 50 to 60 people covers all costs, covers the cinema rental, the DCP, what they call the VPF, the virtual print fee, um, cinema hire, filmmaker and us, and that all mushes together to about 50 to 60 tickets. In that, there's about 200 bucks uh, plus GST for the filmmaker. Once that threshold's reached, the split is 35 cinema, 35 filmmaker, uh, 25 tug, and 5% for the promoter, because an individual screening has a, has a champion that makes it all happen. They get 5%. If it's the filmmaker that does that, they get that as well. That'll average out um, to about 28, 29, 30%, somewhere around their net return to the filmmaker um, because the expenses are embedded in already. If you've had a distribution contract with one of the majors or with a company like ours in a traditional sense, you'll see those numbers on paper, but you'll never see them in your bank account because that 30% is swallowed up in the P&A uh, costs which often exceed the cost of uh, the return to the film and that you will have that wonderful experience called cross collateralization which means that uh, the loss that you incurred on the theatrical release um, diminishes how much you make on your DVDs and um, SVOD sales and the rest of it. Uh, in our cinema on demand model every screening is profitable and you make money at every screening and we send you money. And it's well. that follow on to people have asked me here at AIDC, my experience. And the great thing is is that because it's all pre-sold tickets, you end up getting this massive database. So I don't have to rush to get DVDs. And basically then there's that DVD ability where you've got this whole list of people you can send it out to. So that's that yeah. ongoing. Yes, that's the other um, part of our model, which is probably unique in that we, we share the data. So the filmmaker gets to know um, the email address of every single person who bought a ticket uh, to one of their screenings and gets that database and can then responsibly use it um, according to the laws of the Australian government when <coughs> you give it to them. Uh, but it becomes marketing uh, for other products uh, for staying connected to them and the issues and, and the rest Fantastic. of it. Fantastic. We've reached 10. If it's a very, very quick question, then I'm going to have to wrap up because I'm sure they need this. Yeah, cool. Um, just quickly, David, um, kind yeah, of alluding to what I was looking around here. Dijon uh, said before about, you know, 90% 90, uh, 90 of people online, you know, don't really know how to use it, social yeah. media-wise. How do you reach older audiences on the Tug platform that aren't used to online? That is a fantastic question. Um, and 
we, we have a very varied age demographic who come to see the films. Um, we'll often find um, adult children will buy uh, their parents, so older folks in the 80s, if they want to go see one, they'll buy it for them. Uh, in some regional towns, the promoter will, uh, will credit them 10, 15 tickets, they'll give it to the local shop and people will go in and, and buy the ticket there. A number of the chains uh, we have arrangements with where people can pay on the night if seats are still available so they can do walk-ups in a, in a traditional way. You know, we've had to be creative around that, understanding that. And it's not, I would also say it's not just older people that, um, that don't do online. I think in the activist community there are quite a few who are very suspicious of um, giving their details uh, online to anybody and so won't do that either. But, um, it, you know, it is an online platform, it works that way. Um, the beauty of it though is we create urgency mm. and that urgency is if we don't sell this many tickets by this date, this won't happen. So the, the Australian procrastination gene, which is alive and well and people making decisions at the last minute, um, we circumvent all of that. And so people have to make a commitment. And then it doesn't matter what happens, how the weather is, hot, cold, otherwise, they've got their tickets four weeks away, it's an event, they'll turn up. So it is an utterly unweather dependent experience of going to the cinemas. And every cinema owner in Australia will tell you that um, one of the things that affects box office is the weather. It has yeah. no bearing on us at all. Yeah. Do the exhibitors also promote... An another really good question. Um, beginning to? Beginning to. So we had a, a film, Laser Team, which was a narrative feature sci-fi spoof in January, and uh, a number of the chains that screened that uh, did promote themselves, and we, we created special pages that just listed only their cinemas so they could do their own campaign through their own EDM structure that then went to just the event pages or just the village pages and things like that. I'm going to have to um, I, I, um, to wrap up here. I've, firstly, I think David is going to take over Universal Studios by the end of the decade. <laughs> I have a great belief in that. From your to God's ears, yeah. Um, and I feel like I've been on a journey with you from when the first time I talked to you and I knew nothing about it. I think would like to... Can we all thank our panel and the filmmakers and, um, and to David? Yeah, great. And thank I just you. want to say it's been an absolute uh, honour to have these two filmmakers' films represented on our platform and it's meant an awful lot to us that thousands and thousands of Australians have seen this fine work uh, that might not have happened otherwise and we're really grateful to you for the effort you did in making the movies so we can be inspired and transported by watching them as well. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the Acme website.